Chapter Four of the Pioneers by Catherine Susanna Pritchard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. Mary stood back from the threshold. The fear that had haunted her for days had suddenly left her. At first glance, she had seen that the men had rough pieces of wood in their hands. Her gaze was arrested by the taller, shaggier man who had sprung forward. He was about to speak roughly, breathlessly but she anticipated him. Her eyes flew past him to the man who hung in his shadow. The gash of a wound was just visible under a grimy piece of rag wrapped across his forehead. "'He's hurt,' she cried, a sure instinct of protection urging her. "'Come in, and I'll bind up your head. It wants water and a clean bandage. Oh, but you look starving, both of you. Have you lost your way in the hills? It's terrible to do that but you're welcome indeed. Come in and have something to eat and rest yourselves. The tall man hung in the doorway as though speech and reason had deserted him, but the other, whose thatch of reddish hair stood up strangely from the filthy rag that bound his forehead, raised his arm and took a step forward, the glare of madness in his eyes. But that movement was the last spurt of energy in him. He pitched forward and lay across the threshold. "'Oh, bring him in and put him on the bed there, and I'll try to do something for him,' Mary cried, her eyes flying from the fallen body to the man who stood in the doorway. He did as she asked, and turned to her with watchful eyes. "'You hold the child for me while I bathe his head,' she said. "'It may bring him too.' She thrust Davy into his arms. "'Sit down, won't you?' she asked, smiling towards him, as she set some water on the fire and poured some more into a basin. She tore up a piece of old linen and began very gently to bathe the unconscious man's head. He groaned as the pain stirred again. She spoke to him, saying that the wound would mend the sooner for being cleansed, and that it was a wonder he was alive at all with the state it was in. Sitting in Donald's chair, holding Davy in his arms tightly, clumsily, the tall man watched her, his face turned to, and from her, as his eyes wandered apprehensively about the hut and to the door. "'Here, ma'am,' he said at last, snarling over the words. "'Where's your man? I've no notion for him to come in and corner us, if that's your game.' "'He's away,' she replied, "'and will not be back, perhaps for a day or two. He stared at her. "'I should never have thought Davy would be so good with a stranger,' she added, her eyes travelling from Davy's round head on his arm to the man's dark face, and the eyes that leapt and glittered in it. She smiled into them. Davy was crooning and gurgling. He had crooked his little hands into the stranger's beard, and his mother saw with joy that the stranger held his head as though he feared to dislodge those little hands. "'No games, ma'am,' he growled, "'or it'll be the worse for you. We're desperate men. It's our lives we're fighting for.' "'I knew that when I saw you,' she said quietly. She put some bread on the table, a mug of milk, and a piece of cold meat. It is not much to offer you, but it is all I've got, she said. I wish it were better, because you're wanting good wholesome food just now. I'll make some gruel for your friend, and maybe there'll be an egg tomorrow, or I can set snares for a possum. She took Davy from him, and he turned to the table to eat. The man on the bed moaned wearily. She put Davy into his basket, lined with furry skins, and went to the sick man. The cloths that she had put over it to soak off the filthy rag which bound his head had served their purpose. She lifted them, and the festering gash on his forehead was laid bare. Her exclamation, or a twinge of pain as the air touched the wound, sharpened his brain. 
His eyes opened. He stared with semi-conscious gaze a moment. Then, with a hoarse oath, he sprang at her. His quivering lean fingers gripped her throat and clung tenaciously. The man at the table flung himself upon him and wrenched his hands away. They struggled for a moment. Then the sick man dropped onto the bed again, but he shouted incoherently, his fever-bright eyes baleful by the flickering firelight. "'After the jails and the sea and the bush, to be taken now and like this, by God!' he panted. "'Let me be! Let me be! Don't you see? It's a trap!' "'It's all right,' the other gasped. "'Don't let your tongue run away with you, Steve.' "'I'll not be taken alive!' the man on the bed cried. "'Not now! Not after getting through so far! I'll not be taken alive, and the one that tries to take me will not live either!' The tall man cursed beneath his breath. "'The woman means no harm to you,' he said. It is the fever troubling him, Mary explained. The sick man was already weak again. He lay on the bed limply and muttering uneasily. You'd best hold him so as I can put on the clean rags, she said. She had a length of old linen smeared with ointment from a small earthenware jar in her hands. She laid it over the wound and gently and firmly bound it into place. That'll be better, she murmured. The gaunt man overlooked her a curious cynical humour in his eyes you're a brave woman he said i'm not indeed she replied but her eyes met his squarely she laughed softly and told him how afraid she had been earlier in the day at the sound of his mother's voice davy piped wistfully she went over to him and rocked his cradle for a moment or two hush davy she said talking to him softly in her native welsh we have company there's one hungry man wants his supper, and another man, sick, that thy mother must make gruel for. Do thou sing to thyself, son, till mother is ready to take thee again. But Davy had no great notion of the laws of hospitality that separated him from the source of all consolation. He wailed incontinently, and from wailing took to uttering his protest with all the strength that was in him. The unkempt stranger, munching his dry bread by the table, glanced furtively at Mary's back as she stooped over the fire, stirring the gruel. Then he got up and went to the cradle. He lifted the child with awkward carefulness. Davy continued to wail, nevertheless, finding that it was not the soft covering of his mother's breast that he was laid against, but a harsh fabric, smelling of the sea, the earth, dank leaves, and a strange personality. When she took the gruel from the fire and poured it into a little bowl, her eyes rested on the stranger as he tried to appease Davy. He was cradling the child in his arms and muttering awkwardly, distressfully. There now, there, an expression of awe and reflectiveness veiled the sharpness of his features. There now, there then, he kept saying. He looked up to find Davy's mother's eyes resting on him and laughed a little shamefacedly. I think he's forgetting his company manners, surely, he said. You're the first company he's had to practice on, she replied. Her simplicity, and again the clear, shining eyes with their direct and smiling glance, astounded him. You'd best give this to your friend yourself, she went on, putting the bowl on the table. It seems to trouble him to see a strange face. She lifted Davy from the stranger's arms, and he took the bowl of gruel to the other man. Be gentle with him, and humour him, she warned, but make him eat all of it. I'll put a blanket here on the hearth for you, and Davy and I will sleep at the other end of the room. 
when she had thrown all the spare clothing in the hut on the floor before the fire and had spread a patchwork quilt in the rug of possum skins at the far end of the room for herself she sat down on a low stool near the door and lifted davy's lips to her breast she sang a half-whispering lullaby rocking him in her arms his cries ceased her thoughts went off into a dreamy psalm of thanksgiving as his soft mouth pulled at her breast she looked up to find the eyes of the tall stranger on her a gaunt long-limbed man his clothes hung on his arms and legs as if they were the wooden limbs of a scarecrow the shreds were knotted and tied together and showed bare shrunken shanks and shins burnt and cut about the dark hair of virility thick on them his face lean and leathern had a curious expression of hunger the eyes in it held dark memories yet a glitter of the sun mary cameron vaguely realized that she had known what manner of man this was the moment she looked into his eyes that was why she had not been afraid when he confronted her on the doorstep why too she had been able to ask him into her house and treat him as an unexpected but not unwelcome guest the man on the bed moaned suddenly he started up with a shrill scream a wave a wave we'll be swamped his voice fell away muttering then again he was crying is that the land dan that line against the sky over there no don't you see there there man god don't say it isn't how long have we been in this boat seems years been seeing the sea then blasted little blue waves jumpin up and lickin my face better throw me overboard dan dan better throw me overboard can't stand it any longer the thirst and the pain in me head dan mary turned pitiful eyes on him rocking davy and hushing him gently as he wakened and began to cry querulously a sail the sick man shouted some blasted clipper for the port do you think she'll see us dan are we too far away will the waves hide us he sank back wearily muttering again i'll not be caught not be taken alive dan he started up crying angrily i'd rather go to hell than back ah a shriek that curdled the blood in her veins a cry that sped upwards in an uncurling scream of uncontrollable anguish flew from the sick man another and another mary looked at the man before her questioningly the lines about his nose were bent to a faint and bitter smile but there was no smile in his eyes thinks he's being flogged he said he would be if we were caught taken back again you know where we came from yes she said from the island his head was jerked in the direction of the sea you're the first soul i've spoken to since we escaped except him and he's been raving mad most of the time you and i have got to do some talking ma'am he looked about the room lifted donald's chair and set it before her he had recovered his self-possession was readjusting his plans yes she said you know we meant to get all the food and clothes we wanted from this hut he said harshly we watched you all day from the trees and thought a man would be coming home after sundown we didn't mean to let you off if you screamed and brought him before we'd got what we wanted the dog's dead did you know i killed him caught him by the throat behind the shed but that was a pity she cried a note of stress in her voice pity he leaned forward but we can't afford to have pity i saw you sitting spinning in the sun singing to the child my heart turned in me to see you like the women at home but that would not have saved you starving men fighting for our lives we were 
wild beasts pity what pity's been shown to us do you know what it means to have felt the lash and made your escape from port arthur swimming the bay at eagle hawk's neck wrapped in kelp cheating the bloodhounds chained a few yards from each other across the neck and the sentry who'd shoot you like a dog if he saw you do you know what it was like crawling from one end of the island to the other in the bush at night with only a native to guide you not knowing whether he was going to spear you or run you into the tribe making your way into a cockle shell of a boat in the open sea without any mariner's tools at all and only a keg of water and a bit of possum skin to chew to keep the life in you no you don't know how could you he paused a moment and continued desperately and it's no good my trying to tell you steve got a crack on his head the night we escaped he was mad with thirst in the boat i was near it myself and i had all the work to do pulling and straining my eyes for the land we had to keep out of sight of other boats too and the government sloop going between port southern and hobart town for fear we'd be seen picked up and sent back months of scheming it took to get so far i'd picked up the lay of the land near the port and the way to get about in the country beyond from sailors it was a man who'd got as far as the coast and had been sent back told me to look for the muddy river water in the sea and get up the river at night we wanted to make the weary because there is a man lives near the river we'd heard would give us food and shelter or help us get away to the hills we got to the river and had to be low in the bush all day till night came again then i went up through the trees to a wooden house we could see among other houses that were all mud or mud and stones it was mcnab's shanty we got a sailor to take a letter through to him saying we were coming and to be on the lookout for us and i'd got a message from mcnab telling us how to get to him what sort of man he was to look at and saying he was willing to help us get away on condition that when we got on our feet we'd make it up to him of course we had to pay on the spot too and we'd got a bit to do it with i've heard them say on the island he's making his fortune mcnab they say there are men in this country now well off holding big positions who pay mcnab what he likes because he helped them to get away they pay because if they don't no matter who they are what they're doing a word from him against them and back they'd go to the darbies and the cells but there's a new game now a reward is out for the capture of escaped convicts the weary bitterness of his voice took a sharper edge it was a hot night i lay low near mcnab's waiting for the chance to tell him we'd come and get the food and clothes he'd promised to have ready for us it was late i waited until there didn't seem anybody about the bar and the lights went out all but the one in a room at the side then I got tired of waiting and crept up to the shanty and lay flat against the wall, hoping to see if the way was clear, and I could get a word with McNab. The wall was not thick, and there was a crack in it. I could see into that room with the light. McNab was there, and the trooper from Port Southern with him. Under his coat I could make out his uniform. A bottle of rum made the talk go easy between them, and I heard the plan they were making. It was that M'Loughlin should not keep too close a watch for travellers from the island, be too keen on their scent, and McNab should play friendly to them and tell M'Loughlin of their whereabouts when they thought they were getting off finely. He was to arrest them, and the pair of them would share the reward. Steve and I were expected. We were to be the first victims. Mary's exclamation of pity and horror comforted him. The compassion of her eyes banished the evil, mirthless smile from his. I got back to Steve, he said more quietly. He was almost too ill to walk. He understood, though, that we would not be troubling McNab when I told him what had happened, and was quiet, though he had been moaning and crying all day. It was because of his fever I was afraid to leave him again, or to try to get food in the township. So we started for the ranges. 
but we hadn't got far when he gave out, and I had to carry him. I wanted to get him away from the tracks where the sound of his raving could be heard, and so we've been in the hills ever since. Nearly ten days, it must be. This was the first clearing we sighted since we saw the weary, and we had to get what we could out of it or die in our tracks. I'm talking sane enough now, but I was almost as mad as Steve, with hunger and rage at the thought of being taken again, and serving to get reward money for McNab when we came to the door here. He hesitated. It was the sight of you, looking like the mother of God with the child in your arms, saved me. I'll give you all the food and clothes I can, she said. Ma'am, his voice trembled. Then he said roughly, You're not playing the Thad McNab game. Her eyes met his. Do you think so? she asked. Davy and I, a fine pair we are to play a game with you. You think it's the easiest way to get rid of us, to give us what we ask for? She nodded, smiling. You are afraid, then? Not for myself, but for you. There was no wavering in her eyes. I was not wanting my husband to find you here. He might think it was his duty to send word back to the port. He might... He'd try. Yes, he'd try. But you've got a sick man to think of, and you're at the end of your strength yourself. Donald's a strong man, and he has no love for desperate characters. A flickering smile played about her mouth. You must be gone before he returns. You can rest here tomorrow, and then you would be better going. You can read the stick by the door. The cross marks the day he went. It will be five days since then tomorrow, and he may be back on the sixth or the seventh day. The man looked from her to the sapling pole by the door, counted the notches on it, and his eyes returned to her. You've heard naught good of convicts that you should be treating me so, he said. No, it's terrible tales I've heard of the things they do and the things that are done to them. A shadow had fallen on her face. None too terrible for the truth, he said. They tell me. It was a man in Melbourne told me. It is the life that makes them desperate, she cried. Men who have been sent out for quite little things become... Dead to shame, he said. Men who would kill a woman who has served them as you have served us, for fear when they'd gone she would betray them. Send her men and the black bloodhounds after them. Condemn them to hell and torture again. Oh, women have done it, and men like me have made other women pay. A gleam of anger lighted Mary Cameron's eyes. If you believe I would give them the chance of taking you back again, there is Donald's gun on the shelf, she said. Settle the matter for yourself. But if you will believe the truth, it is this. My heart is with you, and all like you. The sick man muttered and cried. Davy waking, wailed fretfully. We'll go tomorrow, the stranger said. You'll give us food and clothing? Yes, she replied a little wearily. But will you not rest now? I must be sleeping myself, because the child will be ill if I'm not careful of him. The man stood before her, abashed, his face working as though he were restraining the desire to cry, as Davy was crying. I can't understand why you should be as you are, he said at length, his voice breaking. Ah, there's reason enough, she sighed, and turned away from him. He threw himself down by the fire, but Mary did not sleep when she lay on the floor at the other end of the room although the regular breathing of her guest told her when he slept. Once she sat up and looked at him where he lay, stretched before the fire as he had thrown himself in an attitude of utter exhaustion. The rambling cries and the moaning of the man on the bed kept her awake. She found herself listening to the tangled threads of his raving. 
the firelight leapt in long beams across the room there was no fear but a strange awe in her heart End of chapter four